and welcome into Faithful Freedom with Taryn Gregson, presented by We the Patriots USA. Thank you for watching us on the We the Patriots USA Rumble channel and Red Voice Media, and for listening on New Hampshire Family Radio, WLMW 90.7 FM, Manchester, New Hampshire, and anywhere you listen to your podcasts. If you'd like us on your station, email us at Taryn at We the Patriots USA.org. I am delighted to have Dr. Peter McCullough back on the show today. The last time I talked to him, which was early on when we started this podcast, he told us that pregnant women should be category X, meaning off limits when it comes to testing vaccines, whether it's the COVID vaccine or any other vaccine. Well, now fast forward here to 2023, they are testing this RSV vaccine on pregnant women with the hopes that they will pass on the antibodies to their babies. But we are finding that this is not uh, even an even working. This, this RSV vaccine in this trial isn't even working, let alone talking about the safety risks involved in all this. So we are going to talk to Dr. Mc, Peter McCullough about this and just the state overall of, of this vaccine testing on pregnant women, how this is kind of becoming the norm and the dangers behind all of that. So we're going to talk to him and I cannot wait to see him in person upcoming here pretty soon at our We the Patriots USA National Conference in Boise on June 2nd and 3rd. You can use code SECRET50 at wethepatriotsusa.org to get 50% off your tickets. I'll be there and seeing the event. Dr. McCullough will be there along with Dr. Ryan Cole, Steve Dace, and so many more. I cannot wait. This is one way that you can help contribute to the many, many, many things that we are doing here at We the Patriots USA, including helping to represent so many people out there in their medical freedom cases and their religious freedom cases. You can see these on the screen if you are watching us on Red Voice Media or on Rumble. And you see that many of these have to deal with the mandates with some people even inside Big Pharma. We have a lawsuit against Bristol Myers Squibb, one against Takeda Pharmaceuticals. So what we are talking about today with Dr. Peter McCullough applies to these people that we are trying to help with inside the industry. And you can help these cases and any future cases that We the Patriots takes on by going to wethepatriotsusa.org. Well, now let's talk to Dr. Peter McCullough. Where do we go from here? Because the battle has just begun. As eyes open, we continue to arm ourselves with the truth in all aspects of our lives, asking questions and relentlessly searching for answers, educating ourselves and forging a new path forward. Hear from real people faithfully pursuing freedom. This is Faithful Freedom with Taryn Gregson, presented by We the Patriots USA, a nonprofit 501c3 organization working to preserve and reclaim our God-given inalienable rights. Dr. McCullough, thank you so much for coming back on the show. Thanks for having me. And I see that you have some exciting news there because you are in, if people are watching us, you're in this beautiful brand new studio. I am. I'm at the AFN studio in Dallas, and we're hosting uh, you know, a whole series of programs. I'm the medical uh, correspondent for the network uh, for Grant Stinchfield, who's our anchor. And uh, John Leake and myself later on today will film an episode of The Second Opinion, which is an investigative TV show. People love it. 
as we delve into various investigations. This one we're going to uh, be focusing on. I can't spill the beans, but it's going to be a pretty important topic that involves multiple government agencies. But AFN Network here in Dallas, look for it. It's going to be on uh, all the major networks and on the internet, uh, all just coming together here in the last few months. Well, we are so excited for you because you have been all over the media trying to get the word out on everything that's been happening. Um, we talked off air before we came on and, you know, you kind of joked, we we don't see Dr. Anthony Fauci or any of these other uh, so-called uh, public health officials on TV trying to help people and alert people. But here you've taken so much of your own personal time to do so. I have. I'm in practice in Dallas. I've had to move my mm -hmm. practice now. Uh, uh, three times uh, through the pandemic, but uh, have landed north of Dallas, and I just came from clinical practice today. And, uh, you know, patients as well as so many people in the public are concerned with the advancement of vaccines generally, given the COVID-19 vaccine debacle. Absolutely. And we're going to talk about that today because on your website, you have a great sub stack and you broke the news um, a couple of weeks ago talking about how RSV vaccine testing is happening on pregnant women. And I'm going to pull up one of the excerpts from your article. Um, it, it says here, quote, Pfizer has aggressively advanced routine clinical trials into the pregnant population with no assurances on long-term outcomes. Furthermore, they've moved the goalposts to make it easier to have a successful trial. We should demand long-term safety. And um, this is just one year of durability for such a rare and easy to treat condition. So let's talk about that first uh, point about how Pfizer and these companies are aggressively putting in these random control trials on pregnant women. What happened to Category X you were telling me about? Normally, randomized trials are done in initially adult populations. Uh, there would be the lowest risk population that exists to make sure that uh, the new product, there's no you know, serious side effects. Then it would move down to children. The last group to ever be tested be pregnant women because there's always two patients, both the mother and the baby, uh, plus the complexity of pregnancy. Pregnancy in general is very low risk for infectious complications or other complications. So pregnant women are not the highest risk uh, people out there. So with respiratory syncytial virus, RSV, this is a, a viral condition that largely affects infants under age one. Uh, it's a benign condition. At the most, child needs a, a nebulizer, typically an albuterol or a budesonide nebulizer, and it clears up. So uh, respiratory syncytial virus is not a compelling case to mass vaccinate uh, populations, uh, including children under age one. But this strategy here was to give it to women ages 24 to 36 weeks. The trial is called the Matisse trial, New England Journal of Medicine, uh, sponsored by Pfizer, to give it to pregnant women without knowing it's safe uh, in order to reduce RSV infection later on in the child, you know, the newborn child. Uh, so many things there to unpack. You mentioned this Matisse trials, trial was sponsored by Pfizer. How is that that the drug company um, who obviously has every reason to want this out there due to monetary gain can be the one that is sponsoring the trial and therefore has every hand in what the outcome is going to be? That's common. I can tell you with new mm -hmm. products, uh, you, you know, the government doesn't, is not in the business of doing drug research. The drug companies do. It's common. Now, there's safeguards. 
uh, independent steering committee, independent data safety monitoring board. The academic physicians play a big role in trying to safeguard this, but the whole idea of going into pregnant women, very unusual. It's uh, distinctly disturbing, I think, that investigational review boards uh, signed off on this. This was giving the pre-fusion protein uh, of the respiratory syncytial virus. So this is, the, in a sense, the, uh, the protein that, that leads to some respiratory system damage in the human body in order to, to form antibodies. Women were late in the term, so uh, there's hopefully some safeguard against malformations that normally happen in the first trimester. But this gamble that the pregnant women would, uh, you know, in a sense, provide passive antibodies to the baby, and then those antibodies would play a role in the sinuses. That's the real leap of faith. Remember, systemic antibodies are IgG and IgM. What's in the nose and mouth, that's IgA. That's a different antibody. That's the reason why, in general, shots in the arm don't provide good uh, protection against uh, infections that start in the nose and mouth. So the premise of the vaccine just in general doesn't seem to even have legs to it. No, it's poorly conceived uh, mm -hmm. to begin with. Uh, one would think, uh, you know, a vaccine, let's say a child who could get, get in trouble with RSV, a child born with uh, cystic fibrosis or a diaphragmatic hernia or some congenital heart problem. Okay, there could be uh, some pulmonary risk, but a healthy child even if they get, even they do get RSV, it's well managed with some nebulizers. We can do that in the home. Uh, parents and pediatricians know how to deal with this. Rarely results in hospitalization. It's just not a compelling case. Uh, but then to reach back and say, well, we're going to inject pregnant women for this theoretical uh, impact in babies, I think it's a disturbing, it's a disturbing framework in order to advance this. Yeah, I think that these drug companies and Dr. Thorpe has talked about this in regards to the HHS documents that he's uncovered with the ACOG, you know, basically given money to push propaganda from the government on to pregnant women to take the COVID vaccine, the untested COVID vaccine, and how they're doing, they're targeting a specific demographic on purpose, that being moms and women in the home that are making these healthcare decisions, because a lot of these are being emotionally charged. You know, they're putting these in front of the women saying, this is how you're going to protect your child. And, um, you know, if you don't, then you're basically opting not to protect your child. So that's playing on the woman and the mom's emotions. Remember when you were pregnant, I told you mm -hmm. uh, the best thing to do is be natural. Pregnancy is a natural state taking an injection of synthetic messenger RNA coding for a protein out of Wuhan, China is not a natural, it's not a natural thing, it's not behaving safe. Now we have a disastrous report by Hoyert and colleagues published by the CDC. It's on their website, March of 2023 from the National Center for Health Statistics. In turn, you're gonna be uh, shocked with this. Maternal mortality, death of the mother now is at an all-time high since the vaccines, and it's death during pregnancy out to 42 days after pregnancy. We've never seen so many deaths of women. And modern obstetrical care uh, is, is, protects a woman from almost any type of problem. Deaths after pregnancy were very rare. Uh, you know, we just had a world-class sprinter, Tori Bowie, who won the Olympics in the relay in 2016. She was found dead you know, with her baby seven months pregnant. 
And one can only wonder, uh, the U.S. Track and Field Association mandated the vaccines. One can only wonder, did she take a vaccine and could this have led to a maternal death? The, the one mechanism of death that is up for consideration is blood clots. Uh, pregnancy is a um, more hypercoagulable state. The body is preparing for blood loss, so it's becoming more hypercoagulable. Rates of uh, production of fibrinogen, other blood clotting factors are up. The vaccines clearly promote blood clots. And so a fatal uh, pulmonary embolism would be a consideration. Myocarditis or heart inflammation would be a consideration. Uh, whatever it is, it's not good. In the case of Tori Bowie and all these women who are dying during the course of pregnancy, we must know their vaccine status. How many doses did they take? When did they take it? And we need to push for autopsies. I agree. I, you know, I've talked to so many families and, um, you know, that are waiting on the autopsies of their lost one, their lost loved ones. They think it's attributed to the shot. The, you know, state uh, medical examiners are dragging their feet on getting them back to him. So people don't have answers. And, you know, going back to what you're speaking on the pregnant women with the blood clots, we've had uh, Dr. Thorpe, Dr. Christian Northrup, and Dr. Daniel McDyer, among others that have been on this show on our OBGYN Speaks panel, uh, Dr. Kimberly Biss, another one of these doctors who have all talked about the hemorrhaging, just the in healthy patients, healthy pregnant women that they normally would not see postpartum hemorrhaging in, they're having they're having extreme cases. In one case, Dr. McDyer had to do an emergency hysterectomy because they could not stop the hemorrhaging. The, the, the spike protein that's produced in response to the vaccines also get exposed to it with COVID-19. It causes both clotting and bleeding in the same patient. Now, this is hard to imagine, but the systems are enormously complex. We see bleeding and clotting problems in the brain, so both hemorrhage and clotting causing stroke. Same thing is happening with, uh, you know, at the time of delivery. Now, in the paper by Thorpe and colleagues, I'm senior author, published in the Journal of the Association of American Physicians and Surgeons, uh, you know, we reported uh, several maternal outcomes which are worrisome, including uh, postpartum hemorrhage. And once the baby's delivered, then the next thing the doctor has to do is deliver the, the, uh, the placenta. And so in order to do that, there's some traction applied and there's some methods to do that. The, the uterus has to contract down pretty quickly and it's always a race against time. So the uterine contra the uterus contracting in order to kind of shut down the, the loss of blood. But there is loss of blood. And when we deliver a placenta, there's no doubt about it, there's mm -hmm. loss of blood. The vaccine tips this situation and apparently the blood just really pours out. Um, I had a patient, sadly, who uh, delivered recently. She had taken the vaccine uh, and required seven units of blood transfusion wow. with the delivery. So she had that complication. In the Thorpe paper, also describing fetal hemorrhage. So hemorrhage in the newborn, that shouldn't happen either. The baby, once the umbilical cord is ligated, the baby is breathing on his or her own, you know, they should be fine. They shouldn't be suffering hemorrhagic complications. We again believe that this is the effect of the vaccine. Yeah, there's so many so many reasons why to continue uh, on with your pregnancies in a natural state like you've alluded to um, for so many reasons. Right now, you can head to TarynGregson.com and go on there and learn more and get your, by signing up for our email newsletter, you can get a downloadable PDF explaining the HPV vaccine, which is another one that's being mandated um, 
on the docket to be mandated in California to, to kids there, just the overall um, push for these vaccines. Do you think that people are starting to wake up, um, especially women with their children and themselves on maybe wanting to look more into these and um, possibly hitting the brakes? Well, we've seen when the CDC ACIP panel uh, advised that the COVID-19 vaccine, which is emergency use, genetic, uh, novel, with no assurances on safety, when they recommended that was to be added and was added to the pediatric schedule down to six months old, that's when women said, uh-uh, they're going to pull back. And now Kaiser Family Foundation survey shows a large percentage of parents are pulling back from the vaccines. They're, they are hitting the brakes. They're asking appropriate questions. When I was born, there were three shots and five different diseases being, being uh, vaccinated against. Now a child today faces 72 shots and 16 diseases being, uh, you know, being immunized against, uh, and that doesn't include COVID. We had COVID now with shots every six months in the primary series. It's going to be well over 100 shots. And the great concern with children is that it's just too much. The immune system is trying to develop. Uh, clearly, febrile seizures are a risk when there's uh, sometimes with, a, let's say, a DPT, MMR, uh, influenza, pneumococcal, COVID, there could, be, there could be eight or nine different antigens put into a child you know, below the age of two. Uh, th that's going to evoke a febrile response, a tremendous immune system activation. And the concern is a child has a febrile seizure and is never the same afterwards. Uh, that's possible. I've had patients in my practice who uh, the initiation of lifelong epilepsy comes from that event. And now uh, there is a paper that's been um, published by the American Journal of Public Health Policy and Law by Paul Thomas, pediatrician, who in his practice, he had uh, several thousand families fully vaccinate their children and several thousand who went natural. They went natural, no vaccines at all. And those who went natural, those children were far healthier. They had lower rates of tympanostomy tubes, uh, allergic rhinitis, urticaria, asthma, lower rates of attention deficit disorder, autism spectrum disorder, Asperger's, other neuropsychiatric diseases. It was not even close. Going natural, the children were so much healthier. Yeah, God uh, created us and our beautiful immune system. And, um, you know, alluding, talking about that schedule and how intense it is, you know, that doesn't even count to the vaccines that are pushed on the pregnant mom. So the baby getting um, right. vaccines in utero. And I want to pull up this slide talking about that, that typically um, in section 13. Point one on most vaccine inserts, it states that they have not been tested for carcinogenic or mutagenic potential. While the flu and Tdap shots are given routinely to pregnant women, both have not been tested on pregnant women. So, um, you know, we're talking about how we shouldn't be testing vaccines on pregnant women, but yet we are still giving vaccines to pregnant women that aren't tested and that haven't had data collected on them. I myself have been outspoken in my first pregnancy. I did a, a an interview with Aga Wilson sharing my story about how I had a severe reaction to the, D, the DTaP vaccine while I was pregnant. And, um, you know, I've been outspoken about that and how, you know, that kind of started me on my journey looking into all of this. But, you know, well, well, let me just comment mm -hmm. about the Tdap and, and inactivated Absolutely. flu vaccines. Uh, let's take Tdap. Uh, it, you know, tetanus, people are getting tetanus shots every uh, 10 years. 
Uh, pregnancy is a low risk for tetanus, but if there was a deep tissue wound infection, we use antibiotics anyway. Diphtheria and pertussis, uh, they're very infrequent, and if a pregnant woman did get these symptoms, they'd be treated with a Z-Pack, azithromycin. So, the, so the, the Tdap is completely unnecessary during pregnancy. Influenza now, uh, multiple studies show the influenza, it simply doesn't work. It doesn't reduce the risk of, high, uh, of influenza requiring hospitalization and death. And so the CDC reported that last year, a paper by Chun and colleagues, statistically insignificant from zero. So the two major vaccines used in pregnancy, in my view, are, are not compelling at all. The one vaccine that I think is compelling, and every woman should look at it, is the rubella vaccine, the German measles vaccine. You know, as a woman approaches childbearing years, uh, in the United States, we used to have about 20,000 con uh, congenital uh, rubella syndrome cases, which is a disaster for the mom and the woman. Now we're down to about two cases a year. So the vaccine clearly works, but it's really only needed in women as they approach childbearing years. It's not needed in boys or men. And right now it's part of the MMR. So it's universally given multiple times. And so, you know, out of all of them, if a woman was trying to pick and choose, I'd say rubella is the most compelling as they approach childbearing years. If it has already, if rubella has, you know, already been drastically on the decline due to, uh, you know, the vaccine, would it even be necessary if there really aren't any cases out there? No, it's, it's, it's not necessary because, again, the, expo the chances of being exposed are low, but there are certainly parts of the country where uh, parts of the world where it's not universally given, people go on various trips and what have you. Uh, so the, the, the theory there is if, if vaccination is broad and certainly targeted at the right population, it would have a, some benefit. But I think right now this re-examination of the entire vaccine schedule is what we should do. That's what evidence-based doctors do. That's what discerning parents do. Uh, the data from multiple sources suggest going natural during pregnancy and during childhood uh, is, uh, is certainly not taking risks. It may be in the child's best health choice to actually go natural. Absolutely. So that kind of brings me to our final segment here. What can we do now in the wake of uh, more of these experimental vaccines taking place on pregnant women and people's eyes opening? Um, you know, what what do you say to, to moms and to women out there that you haven't already said about going natural, but um, basically about mitigating these kinds of things from happening in the future? I think it should be risk stratified. I had a couple today in my office, young couple, and they were asking this question, you know, perfectly healthy child, no risks. Uh, what we can see is, again, going natural uh, doesn't appear to have any uh, concerns. You know, s separately, a child with cystic fibrosis could have serious pulmonary concerns. We may actually want to more intensively provide uh, the right vaccines to protect them. Same thing, a child who, who uh, you know, had, had a splenectomy, for instance, after a a car accident or diaphragmatic hernia, asthma. There's conditions where we can actually risk stratify. I think um, certainly a baby who's born to an IV drug-abusing woman should have a hepatitis B shot. I think that's reasonable. But for all women, all normal women to have their children's have hepatitis B, that's overkill, especially on the first day of life. Those who go into healthcare like me, hepatitis B, sure, I took it. Um, approaching college, if you're gonna live in a dorm, congregate setting, meningococcal vaccine, but it ought to be risk-based. This idea of just blanketing everybody with everything, 
I think that idea now is going out. You know why? Because parents are, are really pulling back from that. Yeah, and doing all of these at such a concentrated manner and the early stages of life, um, you know, that is really a big concern. Well, I just so appreciate your your uh, expertise on this, and I'm so excited to see you in person, finally give you a big hug and say thank you for all that you do at our We the Patriots USA National Conference upcoming June 2nd and 3rd. Myself and Dr. McCullough would love to see you there, shake your hand, give you a hug as well as a fellow Patriot and fellowship with you all. So head over to wethepatriotsusa.org. Dr. McCullough, you want to give people a little um, short uh, synopsis of what you're going to talk about at our conference? I'm going to review um, clearly vaccine safety and efficacy, give people an update, five critical points to take uh, regarding SARS-CoV-2. But, you know, I'm prepared to talk about this new disturbing trend of transgenderism in children. A lot of parents want to learn more about it. Where is it coming from? What are the risks? And, uh, and hopefully we'll get into some critical conversations. It's freedom events like this that people are going to in large numbers because they want to have a discussion. They feel like they're being stonewalled by their government and by their doctors in practice. That is correct. And we're actually in uh, going to be very close to Caldwell, Idaho, where if you remember the big school board, um, the big contentious school board meeting happened in regards to transgenderism in the public school there in Caldwell. Our very own Brian Festa spoke at the at the meeting. And so it is definitely a topic that people there in that area want to learn about. Yeah, yeah. it's true. Well, listen, let me just put in a plug. Yeah. AFN Network, Second Opinion. Make sure to follow me on social media, PeterMcCulloughMD.com. That'll take you everywhere. I've got the top doctor Twitter account, uh, Courageous Discourse, the Substack. Uh, John Leake and myself write it. We cover geopolitics, but also these critical medical issues uh, with a voiceover. You can listen to it in the car. Uh, my, my podcast, America Out Loud Talk Radio, McCullough Report. Make sure to pick up a copy of my book, Courage to Face COVID-19, bestseller, five-star uh, rating on Amazon. Courage to face COVID.com. I'm Dr. Peter McCullough. Turn, thank you so much for having me. Thank you so much. We so appreciate everything. And I encourage people to subscribe. I subscribe to Courageous Discourse. I love it. I get it in my inbox multiple times a day and I love it. So thank you for everything. Thank you.